This podcast brought to you by BallCancerSucks.com. Check your nuts. Go to the webpage and see what you have to do to make sure you stay healthy. Beauty and the Beast podcast coming up right now. What's up, you dirty bitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a very exciting morning. Oh, my God. It has been. It has been. A lot of running around. Uh-huh. A lot of fucking heat already and shit like that. Questions. Questions. A lot of I questions. I just had four days with my wife because the weekend got extended, so. Yeah. It's just one of those weekends. It's just one yeah. of those days for me. That extra Tuesday with your wife. And she was sick. And you know how it is. Yeah, so I hear sometimes you. you just got to gotta fucking understand what You got to flee the from. house when you can. Oh, and, and this morning I woke up and I thought she was going to say she's not going to work. Uh-huh. So I got up at 3 in the morning last night because I went to bed at 9, right? And I got up at 3, just got up. I took a piss. I ate a cookie. <laughs> and I said, let me check what's going on in the internet. I checked my emails. I smoked a fucking bong hit. So I slept till 7.30 thinking she was sick. I got up at 7.30. She got music on. The birds are chirping. She's going to work. So now I had to double back on everything. I was running against the eight ball as it was. You follow me? So when you, And then I got people calling me early with dates and questions and why and how. And I'm like, you have no fucking idea. I'm just trying to get my motherfucking head together. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's just <clears throat> weird. The holiday weekend sometimes throws you off. Oh, yeah, it for sure. It throws you the fuck yeah, off. And yeah. I'm off today. Like, it's Wednesday, and I keep thinking it's... I don't even know what fucking day it is. I, I just know the sun's out, and we're fucking alive. So I'm not yeah. complaining, but yeah. you got to understand. Yeah, the Tuesday morning before, uh, after a three-day weekend, you always feel like you got to run, do, do, do. And I, I went and did yoga, and the yoga instructor had a cold. And uh, I hadn't done yoga in like a year. And uh, and so I had my glasses on and like she would not fucking get off my ass. You know, she's like, you with the glasses, you know, the other leg, the other leg, like, fuck you, bitch. I'm trying to relax, you know. So I eventually just left. But I, that was the most tense when yoga set. That was over here. I mean, I, I'm going to go back. But maybe <laughs> she, she was just very cranky, you know. What's the problem with some fucking yoga people are there to have fun? Some yeah. yoga people think this is fucking Bangladesh. Relax, you bitch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Relax, you bitch. Like, I went to a yoga class. Ladies like, take off your socks. Take off your socks. Have you seen my big fucking toe? That's uh-uh. worse than a horror movie. Really? Oh, my big toe got a, a barbell landed on it like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. It's never been the same. The <laughs> nail grows out. It looks like a fucking Coke spoon. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could put Coke in the middle of it and do a line if I had to off yeah. my toe. Like, it's a good fantasy. You know what I'm saying? If a chick's around. He's an addict and a contortionist. Oh, it's a fucking nightmare. So it's like, uh, I don't want to take off my socks in yoga, but you have to. Yeah. You know, you have to, to get better balance and stuff. But it's so weird how some people take it fucking personally. It's like the fucking uh, bike driver that rides his bicycle one day a week, but he puts the helmet on with the tight T-shirt and the pants, just with the, with the shoes that click. You yeah. walk into a place walking like Clint Eastwood. Bitch, <laughs> you're riding the fucking bike. This ain't no horse. That shit kills me. That shit is all like make-believe people. Right. Like when you, I lived in Colorado, so... I know motherfuckers who could do somersault and go up there with shorts, a t-shirt, and a hat on. Fuck the goggles and all that drama. And then you get these beginners that go up there. They got the goggles, the thermal all the way to the top. What the fuck? You don't even ski for two hours. <laughs> you just went and dropped 800 on goggles for no reason. So all that shit I've never bought into. Like those guys, you see it a lot in L.A. This is the land of make-believe. But what you mm-hmm. see, this is the only state where I've seen fake bikers. 
<laughs> like during the week, they're like producers. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like they're taking orders and getting bit slapped. Oh right, and, and then, then on, on the, the weekend, weekend yeah. they got their woman with their sons of anarchy, and they can't. They never. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're sons of anarchy, and they never done dicks. So. But they live in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, they live in Malibu, and they live in a gated community. But they're a big. Their leather is untouched. You can see it's like yeah. eight hundred dollar brand. New. In the back, there's like big ornate gates yeah. in the back of their leathers. You know? <laughs> The fucking security guys. <laughs> yeah. Fucking pussy motherfuckers. <laughs> but that's it. The summer's upon us, man. Yeah, that's for it. sure. For fucking, sure. You know, I didn't even know that. That's how fucked up. Like, I talked to a buddy of mine yesterday. He goes, dog, the air conditioner went down in my building. I'm sweating bullets. I go, what are you sweating about? And he goes, it's 90 degrees in Jersey. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, man, it's been fucking hot and humid. I go, oh, my God, that's right. It's after Memorial Day. Turn on the fucking faucets on the East Coast. Turn on the fucking faucets. <laughs> People have no idea what they do of taking a shower and sweating when you come out of the shower. See, Felicia, you grew up in Colorado. With no, but I lived in New York for eight oh, years. Oh, that's right. And in New York, like at the end of August, you're, you know, it is so fucking hot. And it's like being on fire. It's like you would go to Central Park to see a show, and it was like sitting in fire. Oh, my God. And, and being in your bed at night, even with the air yeah. on, it still feels kind of warm in the room. Anyway, we're back, bitches! <laughs> Felicia Michaels. Joey motherfucker Diaz. What's happening, you beautiful bitch? Well, you know, I, I went to visit my uh, father oh, in Kansas. Right. Yes, Kansas. that was very exciting. It was sweet. It was sweet. You know, I uh, I wrote this on my Facebook, but it was really a really cool moment. Uh, my dad and me, you know, it was no bueno. And, uh, and he's blind now, and uh, he can't hear either. So he was like this really handsome Robert Redford-looking guy, and now he's just kind of, you know, not very interactive, and uh, he's still all there and everything. So, uh, no, but so I went to go hold his hand, because we're not that affectionate, and it startled him. And, uh, and, and then uh, I could see it in his eyes, even though he can't see. You can still, you know, and, uh, and then he felt that it was my hand. And I just remember, because, you know, my dad's getting older, like just, you know, trying to remember every little rough spot in his hands, you know what I mean? And then I went to go move my hand away, and he wouldn't let go of it, and we just sat there holding hands, and no one else at the table knew. And it was really like this cool little moment, you know, because I was never very close to my dad, so it was kind of uh, a neat thing for me in the middle of fucking Kansas, where people do prayer circles at Starbucks. <laughs> Hey man, it's fucking real America, you know, but uh -huh. I'm happy you had that moment with him. That's yeah. always a moment that, that yeah, that's a director's cut. I'd like to introduce our guest this weekend, a fucking badass motherfucker. Let's give a round of applause, my man, Mr. Josh Adam Myers, bitches. <laughs> thank you for having me, guys. Hey man, thank you for coming on. You're from Baltimore originally, so you know. About the humidity problem. Oh, yeah, I'm man. About. Yeah, that's right. the one thing I don't miss about going back east. I go back east usually every May and usually every December, and it makes me realize both times why I don't live there anymore because it's either freezing or fucking humid, and I hate it. But uh, yeah, it's it sucks, man. Maryland and Maryland in August is probably the worst place yeah. to be. It's just the worst, man, because it's a little bit southern than the New York, of course, which you were talking about. So the humidity is that much more stickier and. There's a lot more black people, I think, and you know, it's just it's, it's kind of sucks. Baltimore man. does have a lot of solid motherfucking black. people. A lot of black people. A lot of solid black people. Like solid. They got, the, they got the red veins in their eyes, and they just look at you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, <laughs> red veins. Time I used to drive from Denver to Baltimore when I was an open micer. There was a club there on the water, 
on the water. This is 95, way before you thought of getting into comedy. Sure. And uh, I forget the owners. I mean, it's horrible. My friend Rick Kearns got me into the club. And the guy really liked me. We talked. I mean, I, we were like kindred souls. The club closed down. But one thing I remember about Baltimore is you don't fuck around there. Like, most places where you go cop a nickel bag, there's always like a, when they know you're a newbie, there's like a fucking disturbance. In Baltimore, it was like, what do you want? Just want some weed, though. No, go see that guy in the corner. No, get, put the money on the floor. I never fucked with the drug dealers really in Baltimore, luckily. I always had like white people I used to get mine from. Oh, you I had the, the best wine. coke dealer in the world in Baltimore, though, man. She was the best. She? She was the best. She was always home. That's that's how you know you have a good drug dealer. She's always home all day and night, and, and she was the best. My age, always hooked it up. She actually, uh, on my birthday, gave me uh, an eight ball for free. And then she said to me, this is true. This is actually a funny story. She's like, you know, it's my birthday. She's like, everybody gets to feel special on the birthday. She's like, here, take this. If you run out, come back. So I go out with my buddies. We get fucked up at like four in the morning. I go back to her house to pick up more. And she gives me another eight ball for free. And I'm sitting on the couch, totally drunk, high off my ass. And then some girl's looking out the window and goes, what car is that? And the next thing you know, like 18 cops break into the window and it's they're like it's a raid and like we're gonna search everybody and I'm just sitting there on the couch with coke in my pocket and the first person comes up the, the main guy he's like alright everybody we're gonna search everybody first person we're gonna search is that guy right there and he points at me and he pulls me outside and, and I got this coke in my pocket and he's like I, I'm trying to talk to him but I sound like an 18th century gold prospector because I'm just so fucked up I'm like well I don't know and just, just going off he's like you have anything on you I'm like no and I grab a hold of the coke in my pocket and I'm thinking what I'm going to do is just kind of like pull it out as I go listen man I don't have anything in there and then just like let go of it and hope the wind will just take it away to some magical place where they won't find it but of course I let go and it just drops like a bag of tomatoes it just hits the ground makes the loudest noise and then I start uh, crying so I'm like nah man please you can't arrest me and he's like ah blah blah and I'm like listen it's my birthday man and he stops he's like it's really your birthday and I'm like yeah man it's my birthday and uh, he's like, all right, let me talk to these other cops over here and we'll see what we do. And he goes over to talk to the other cops and then he comes back and he's like, you're not lying to me. It's really your birthday, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's my birthday. And he's like, all right, well, we got something for you. And he goes, two, three. And then six cops start singing happy birthday to me as I'm in handcuffs crying on the side of the street. <laughs> oh, no. And that's, that was 26. That's what I <laughs> That was 26. Those are good fucking cops. Yeah, but they but let they me go. Left. And oh, they I let me go. go. That was the oh, other thing, too. I forgot go? to add oh, okay. that. Well, I, you know, I think, I don't know if they were real cops or they were just dirty cops because they went upstairs, they took all their coke, and then they left, and they just let us all go. And um, that was Baltimore, man. Like, it's one of those towns that, like, you get pulled over if you're drunk, and they always say, how far is it from your house? You know what I mean? Can you get home all right? Because we got bigger fish to fry. Do you know what I mean? There's more shit going on in Baltimore than just DUIs and little drug charges. Like, they'll, they're going for the, you know, the big potatoes. So they're, they're really looking for the big drug dealers out there. And they don't have time for the little guys. Now, what made you come out here? Uh, I, I wanted to... Well, I mean, I, I had so many different careers. I wanted to do comedy since I was about six years old. Uh, I remember watching uh, Comic Relief with my dad... Uh, when I was six and seeing George Carlin do his like famous my stuff is stuff your stuff is shit bit and I loved it and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world and so for years I used to want to be a comic but I was I was too afraid to go up there and try and then I graduated from college uh, in 2005 uh, or 2006 and then I, I just kind of you know started doing open mics in Baltimore and in Washington DC and then I had a cousin that's a producer out here he works uh, different reality shows producing and 
he was like, if you come out, I'll put you up. And, and so I just saved up money. I was working for The Wire in Baltimore and, and I was working on this different TV show called Channel One News. And it was just, it was like, I, I had to get out of Maryland. I, I'd done everything you could do there. I had bigger you know dreams and aspirations and Baltimore couldn't handle that. You know what I mean? So I moved out August 1st, 2008 and, uh, worked behind the scenes for a while and then and then uh around february of 2000 no i'm in 2007 i'm sorry and then in the february 2008 i started doing comedy and then i just fell in love with it so you were an open mic in la i was an open mic which in is LA. a couple you never tried it in baltimore no 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 i tried it in okay, baltimore but okay. it's not you know what i mean like you go out to these small towns and you do stand up and you could do the hackiest fucking black black guys got big dicks and they love chicken and that made the crowds go nuts and like they loved that and so i thought I was like, oh man, I got it. Like, I'm gonna come out here and I'm just gonna move up so quick and I'll be at the comedy store and the Laugh Factory, the improv. And then I got out here and you saw real comics working on their craft. And I was like, all right, I gotta stay away from the clubs for a while and really hone my craft at these open mics. And and so then I did. And then I was, I just, I quit the job working in television and I just, you know, lived on couches and did whatever I could do just to keep doing comedy. And, uh, and it was great. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. It was hard. You know, it's funny because I stunk so bad when I first started. I was horrible. Uh, and I knew people thought I was horrible. But in my head, I was like, well, you might think I suck now, but just wait until I get my voice and then you'll see how good I am. You know what I mean? I just kept my, my self-esteem high and just kept going out and just performing. And, and you know, Well, that's I what should. we all do. Well, exactly. That's, I always, yeah, that's what you we keep all your do. goals low, your self-esteem high, and you'll get everything that I mean, you, you want. You really want to have a bad day. Start off the day and look at one of your open mic. Oh, days. God. Oh, yeah, that's embarrassing. You would turn it off yeah. and fucking quit Facebook. Like, like, <laughs> that's how I feel when I watch like someone put up a clip from Star Search it's like I just like cringe like ugh, you know oh god you I, don't want to see nothing that isn't started. today yeah. and you thought like when you got here you're like bro I was a bad yeah. motherfucker when I moved here watch one of those tapes today and you're like what possessed us that was terrible what gave us the balls to even think that we could do this yeah like what gave you the balls to even think you could do this and then you hear eight years then you hear nine years, ten years, and just something fucking happens. But sure. it's always something that keeps that dream alive. When you're on a couch with no money and you got to go shoplift, fuck. Thank God there was a gas station by Vista that he was like a, an Iranian guy and he was always working on cars. Because I would go in and buy a soda every day and stick my hand up and take a pack of cigarettes. Nobody could understand those open mic days. The open mic days will stay in... You remember that forever. Sure. Like, I spent my open mic days in Denver, but not really. They threw me out. My open mic days were really in Seattle, living over an office. And I tell you, no matter how good things get, you always think of those times. Mm -hmm. That was the blueprint to what made us. So don't ever... Fuck, we were all shitty. You can't... Like, you, you, know, you gotta know what the shit smells like to know what the flowers smell like. You know what I mean? You gotta be... It's like that, you know, the layer cake, man. It's like, you know, hopefully... You know, you, know you start off in shit, and then eventually the shit's less and less and then eventually you don't even smell shit anymore the harder you work and I mean well that's what you hope at least I mean there's some people that are just gonna I've seen open mic comics that have been doing it nine years and it's like they're still just horrible and I don't want to be mean but it's just like eventually you'd just be like you know maybe I should 
I you always want for better. I you always get into stand up because there's no fucking ceiling. Yeah. There's no fucking ceiling. You know, when we get a job as a butcher, you know, for a union, it's $14, $16. Then you work at 22 fucking years at $18, and that's your ceiling. Exactly. You know what your check is going to be every week. With stand up, it's a fucking mystery. At the beginning of the month, I don't care how good you are, or how bad you are, we all start at zero. Mm-hmm. June 1st, we're, we're equal. We mm-hmm. both start at fucking zero. We start at zero every fucking day as comedians, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so weird, so don't, I mean, that, this is the best thing about it. And, and you're here in, in L.A., which is hard to be an open uh, micer. Yeah, it's really hard it's to be It's fucking hard here. To be an you, open micer in L.A. This is like. It's hard to be a comic in L.A. Yes, it's, it's, you know, it's <laughs> hard to be a comic in L.A. Never mind fucking trying to get stage time and, and people, you know, look down and people categorize you. So it's the best time of your life. Now, when you came out here, like when I went to Seattle a couple of months ago, I had Josh Wolf on the podcast. That was my open mic buddy. Nobody understands what an open mic buddy is. The buddies, that core of people. And it's weird when you're here for 15 years and you see what happens. These people go into different directions. But you all start at a fucking open mic. You know, that mm-hmm. that's really fucking cool, you know? I was really blessed. I mean, I my second open mic here in LA, I met the two people that I became best friends with. I met uh, Angelo Bowers, my, my brother, and then I met uh, my other brother, Gerard Carmichael. Both extremely funny guys that at a young age already kind of found their voice a little bit. You know, they were everybody loved them. And um, it was good for me because I still was trying to figure... I knew what kind of comic I wanted to be. I just didn't know how to perform yet. I knew how to perform. I just didn't know how to go up there and be myself yet. That's actually a better way to say it. Uh, but I hung out with them and I watched them and they were already funny and it just made me work harder. You know what I mean? Because we'd go to open mics together. They'd both kill and I'd eat shit and like people would come up to all three of us and be like, Gerard, you were hysterical. And Angelo, you're brilliant. And Josh, yeah, but Gerard, you were hysterical. You know, and so it made me work harder. I always think that like as a, as a comic or a musician or a writer or whatever, you know, you want to surround yourself around people that challenge you. You know, if like if you're the funniest guy in the group, then you're not hanging out with a good enough group. You know what I mean? Like you need to, to be around people that you want to be like. And I'm not saying you want to like steal from them or whatever, but they inspire you. And, they inspire you, know, you man. Yeah. Listen, uh, I always say shit with Felicia. She, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> As you to, witnessed earlier. Fucking, yeah, that was, I, can you I tell go, them, please, like what I walked into? Because I, I, go to I was like, is this a right house or is this a scene? Like what the fuck you know, is going it's, on? And it's a mean way to look at things, but I learned this early on, you know. You could, what's that expression my friend used to say? You could suck dick in a house or you could suck dick in a mansion. It's up to you. It's really up to you. You could suck dick on a corner, or you could suck dick in a 22-bedroom fucking house. That's all up to how the fuck you work it. And it's the same blowjob. We all got the same fucking mouth and the same teeth and the same fucking tongue. Well, you're a little bit more motivated in the nice house. Yeah, but you're also, right. yeah, I, don't, I don't agree with that, man, because I've had some pretty bad blowjobs. Right, some but, girls use their own hands. Right, and, but... Oh, you know, guys garden. don't like the hand thing? I like the Olive Garden thing. I like while she's sucking it and she kind of goes up with the hand. Like, That's I need my to find a girl thing. like that. My last girl didn't know how to do it. She, I don't like magic tricks with the hand. You know, right? <laughs> with the wings and the birds and shit. And they squeeze under the nutsack like it's a blood pressure machine. There's no, there's no need for that shit. My, my dick, you know, they try... Uh, uh, there's like a little button under your butt. I don't like that either. Just oh, stick God. to the cops, all right? Oh. You don't touch my nipples. Don't play with my long hair under my armpits. Just stick to the fucking helmet. Focus, you cocksucker. But uh, <laughs> but it's really weird. Like, look at, you know, I used to go to the comedy store. Like everybody else, Felice used to go to the comedy store. And you go there and you do stand-up and you write. 
and you have dreams and you go down there and there's a circle of guys talking about a room in Kansas that you could sell a lot of merch at. Okay? That's the circle I want to be in. I don't want there's to be more in that circle. No. What I'm trying to say is there's more to life. Sure. I like to hang out with people that have an optimism that there's more to fucking life than just this. Well, there's got to be, and whether you're doing stand-up or whatever the fuck you're doing, there's got to be more to life. What the fuck am I missing? You know, and that's the people you want to hang out with. Sure. People that always have doubts. I don't want to hang out with fucking guys like, let's go to the comedy store and then we'll go to fucking uh, Iowa and sell T-shirts this weekend and make $800. There's a ceiling. You're putting a ceiling on you. I don't want to hang out with people that are all chasing the same fucking nickel. Sure. We all got to have a fucking different dream, and that's the thing. You got to hang out with people that motivate you, inspire you, you know, call you out, tell you, hey, dog, I don't like that fucking joke or something, because that's the hardest thing in the world. There's all these little things, and that's the group that you trust. Well, we had a very supportive group. I think it was funny about my my class of comics with that the older classes like Tripoli, and Brett Ernst and, and those guys would look at us and they were blown away by how supportive we were. Because, you know, in a, in a sense, <clears throat> you know it, man, as comics, we are all in competition, man. There's only so many stages. I always like to say it like, like stand-up comedy is like what they said about hip-hop in the 80s. Like, there's too many rappers, not enough DJs. You know what I mean? There's way too many guys that can spit lyrics, but there's not enough stages and, or beats to perform on. And that's kind of like it is here. I mean, we're all just rushing from one show to the next, from the improv open mic to Bliss Cafe, from Bliss Cafe out to fucking Woodland Hills to do a shitty bar. And it, it was just, we would make sure that we had rides for everybody and we'd support everybody and we wouldn't critique, but you know, if somebody had a good set, we, or we'd, we'd have a tag for somebody, we'd fill them in. And it was really this beautiful thing. And other older comics could not believe we were that supportive. I mean, they were just like in shock because when they started, they were like, man, we, we had enemies and we hated each other. And, you know, we had like, I had like one real friend and we were in competition and we'd get pissed. And it was just, that's not the way you want to do this. I mean, I feel that there's enough room for everybody. I mean, I know there's not, but if you work hard and you're a good person and you really, really dedicate yourself to this, why can't you succeed? You know what I mean? That's the whole thing about this town is that people just try to fake it but they don't really work hard instead of instead of really working on a craft they're at the fucking W at the pool party you know what I mean acting like they've already done shit or they're sitting at some cafe drinking coffee acting like they're working on a script when they really could be working that separates the two different types of people and we we just clicked so well that first day that I met those guys and it was just it was off off to the races and we just every fucking day we just we just dedicated ourselves. I mean, all three of us, me, Gerard, Ange, and then a couple other guys like John Shevsky and Rel Battle and and Willie Hunter and Jamar Neighbors, we just gave up everything. We all didn't work. We all barely made any money or had just whatever we had saved and we'd help each other out. If like when I was broke, uh, usually because I spent my money on drugs, Angelo would make sure I ate, you know, and if I needed a place to stay, somebody would put me up. And then when I when I actually started working a little bit, Ange would stay with me and Gerard would stay with me. And we just, it was a family. And it was exactly what I needed to really dedicate myself because the first two weeks that I started doing open mics, I was just so lonely, you know what I mean? It was just like, because everybody, nobody really accepted me yet. Like I said, I wasn't funny yet. I hadn't found my voice. Uh, and then I met, you know, you meet that friend, like you said, you meet that one guy that just gets you. And then it was, it really was just this beautiful, beautiful friendship so early on 
where we'd do spots and then we'd, we'd finish up by talking about the comedy and then all day long it was just texting about comedy where are we going tonight you know how are we going to get there and blah 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 and it was it was great really made it fun you know when in such a bad time when you really look back at where I was then and I'm like I mean yeah it was it was beautiful and we, we got to perform but I mean it was real struggling I mean barely ate probably lost like 20 pounds in like the first month of doing comedy and just it was hard but it made me stronger it makes you appreciate you know when you start getting the spots and you start making a little bit of money off this it's just how how much fun it is you know I don't want to go back to that for Christ's sake but I mean I I'm, I'm happy that I experienced it I wish I had time to do a triple run. We've had this mm. conversation a thousand times. <laughs> I wish I had time to get Felicia in a fucking car and get on the coast and just listen to music and go from room to room. I wish we had the fucking time. Yeah. yeah. Because you really realize about, you really don't know about another person until you smell their farts in a car <laughs> after eight hours of fucking driving or their booze breath in the morning when you uh, get in the yeah. fucking car. Mm -hmm. And then while you're doing it, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like when you're getting up at seven and you gotta drive to Tuscaloosa and you gotta be there by three thirty to do radio at the Country Western Bar because yeah. there's a blood drive in town and you're gonna <laughs> oh, you host a blood drive. That's part of your promotional activity. And you got, you know, it's usually a nine hour drive, but you gotta make it there. And this guy's drunk, and that's when you start the car and you're like, I should listen yeah. to my parents. I Are had you? thoughts like that once. I was in the middle of Pennsylvania oh, fuck with yeah. Tommy Blaze, <laughs> and he starts to drive out. So men are just innately more funny than women, right? And oh, it's God. like, oh, really, dude? <laughs> like, it was not good. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, because you get in a lot of car with comics, that so you're like, this is going to be a long fucking Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got a car with a comic one time that put on heckler lines that he taped at home practicing by himself. Yeah. And I go, what is this? And he goes, it's just an hour of me practicing in the mirror. Hey, where'd you learn how to whisper in a helicopter? You know, that shit. Yeah. We were going to Greeley, Colorado. That stinks Not as good. it is. I love the club up there. But you don't know what that's like. So finally, after all these, you meet a group of fucking people. That's your world. Sure. You know, which you can never replace. I mean, the real reason I got into comedy was A, the fucking, I didn't want a day job, and B, I read that book. And that group of people that Lenny Bruce hung out with, that's who I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with jazz people and strippers and do heroin at the Chelsea Hotel. That's why I got into this <laughs> fucking shit. That bond. That bond. Now, what happened last December? Uh, well, we were starting December, actually. Um, well, actually, I think it would be better to start in, in September. Let's do it. Um, and, well, Ange and I, I mean, like I said, we were inseparable for, for about four years. Uh, my brother... I mean, everything about that guy I loved. He had what I wanted, and I had what he wanted. Like, I wanted, he had this beautiful personality. Not, and forget him being funny, because that's completely secondary to how good of a person he was. He, he cared about people, and when he was around you, you felt like you were the most important person when you were talking to him. And he did that with everybody. I mean, he was just a beautiful soul. And Ange and I did this show at... Uh, at performance anxiety, it was uh, at the Pleasure Chest. Uh, it's that it's a dildo store on on Santa Monica Boulevard, and Ange went up right before Sarah Silverman, and Ange crushed. I mean, just crushed. And I look over at Sarah, and she's crying, laughing. And then as the host brings Angela off and brings Sarah up, she grabs Ange and says, uh, "Wait right here, I want to talk to you." 
And I'm thinking in my head, this is it. Like, this, he's going to have the same thing that happens with him that happened with Harris Whittles, where she sees a comic she likes and she's going to bring him and take him to the next level. Because Ange didn't promote himself. That's how beautiful he was. He was like, I just want to do comedy. I don't want to promote on Facebook. He didn't have a Facebook or a Twitter. He cared about just the jokes. Comedy, yeah. He got up every day. He'd leave my house at noon and I'd beg him. I'd be like, dude, dude, come on. Let's go to a movie. My treat. Can't, Josh. Can't. Got to go on the vision quest. And he had to go to, a, to like a bar, not a bar, but a bookstore or a coffee bar or a uh, library uh, and just write jokes and he'd write 40 jokes a day and then perform them at night every open open mic whatever he could do to get up he just loved the the craft so he does this show with Sarah she grabs him afterwards and she says listen I think you're one of the funniest guys I've ever seen um, I, you know, give me your number I, I'm working on this project I want to join you in on it he wasn't even that excited. He held it back. And we, I was just like, oh, this is it, Ange. This is your big break. And then that night, he spends the night at my house. And in the morning, I wake up at 8 in the morning, and he's gone. And he writes for some other comics. And usually, he'd meet up with them around noon you know, to help them if they were doing Chelsea Lately or whatever. But Ange was gone, and he never usually has gone that early. And I'm calling him because I knew something was up. Finally, around 2 p.m., he gets back to me, and he's like, Josh, I'm in the hospital. Uh, I was having chest pains last night and I walked to the hospital and I was like, wait, I was in the other room and you didn't wake me up. You were having chest pains for Christ's sake. I would have gotten up. He's like, I didn't want to bother you. Like that's how selfless he was. You know what I mean? He walked. He actually went to the Sherman Oaks hospital, the one on Van Nuys Boulevard, took a train from Wilshire and, and Plymouth to the Sherman Oaks. They couldn't get him in quick enough. So then he then went back on the train to got to go to the, I think it's Hollywood Presbyterian, the one on Vermont. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they found that he had a tumor in his chest uh, and it was causing pressure on his heart. So he was scared. And I, and I mean, I got really scared because the idea of losing him was just like, it was un, un, unimaginable. Like I, I, it's actually funny. I said to my, my friend at the time, I said, if I lose my girlfriend, I'll be okay because I have Angelo. If I lose Angelo, I'll be devastated because that's my brother. And over the next two weeks, because of Obamacare, which, you know, for people that don't think that what he did was great, Obamacare got Angelo the insurance he needed. It might have taken a while, but he got to have the <clears throat> the biopsy, which they found out at first it wasn't cancerous. Um, and then he got to have the, the tumor removed. Uh, and then they did find out it was cancerous, but he got all that done and we have a pre-existing condition. So, uh, you know, I do kind of believe that that, that does work. Uh, and so Ange is gone for about three months. I call him every day and he stayed positive and he's like, I just can't wait to get back. And, and we, it was just, it was great just knowing that he was going to be all right. And December 8th, my girlfriend of three years who I lived with, who two weeks before when I said to her, I was like, listen, babe, I was like, the only two people I got in this town are you and Angelo. That's all I got. I love you both more than anything in the world. And she's like, well, don't worry. I'm not going anywhere. And Ange isn't going anywhere. Uh, she comes home December 8th in the morning and goes, I'm leaving you for this guy. Uh, and that was just like, holy shit, because we lived together. We had dogs together. You know, we had a family. It was it was really weird because I lived in a really nice place. She really wanted that family life. And it, people would come over to my house and be like, wow, you're living way above your means, man. And I'd be like, well, you know, it's I got a good girl and blah, blah, blah. So she leaves me and I'm sad, but I'm like, I got Angelo and Angelo's going to be all right. And then I go back home to Baltimore. Um to visit my mom. And on the 21st, I get the phone call, Ange is gonna be fine. It was cancerous, but he doesn't have any more cancer in his body and he's coming back to LA. This is December 21st. December 21st, that was the greatest news I'd ever gotten. I remember I was with my mom and we both just, I start weeping, because I'm so happy. 
Uh, because I was so sad because oh, I forgot to mention she left me she moves in with the guy she tells me she loves the guy and then I called Ange when she said she loves him after a week of knowing this guy and she's and I saw Ange I'm like she's gonna be engaged by New Year's Eve bet I will bet fucking money she'll be engaged by New Year's Eve because she's a crazy fucking bitch like that you know what I mean she just needs love she needs that she's what is it called codependent she's codependent like a motherfucker not to talk shit about her, but if you guys want her name, you can email me, and then we can all shit on her. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, shit. but so but so I, I'm I'm so sad uh, that you know that Ange is sick. I don't have him when I need him. I did have him one day after she broke up with me. The next day after she broke up with me, he was in town for a week just to do spots, and we walked around for like five hours, and it was the most beautiful thing because I knew that I didn't need her because I had Ange. And then I got the news on the 21st, like I said. And then we talked every day. And then she got engaged on New Year's. And he called me. He's like, is everything all right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, don't worry. I'll be back. Uh, on the 3rd or the 2nd of January, I, uh, I'm, I fly from Baltimore to Chicago. And I call Ange and we talk all day. I hide out in one of those baby changing rooms in the, in the airport at O'Hara. And I just smoke cigarettes. And I'm just talking to him on the, on the phone for like six hours until my flight. And we're so excited. We're going to meet up at a spot right when I get back into town. I get in around 9 o'clock. I finally get back to my old apartment, drop my keys off, pick up my car, look around the old apartment one last time, you know, what I had with the girlfriend, get really sad, go to my new apartment, drop my bag off, uh, and then go to the spot <coughs> to meet Ange. And we, we both perform. Um, and it was this really beautiful thing because I'm on stage and I'm shitting on my ex-girlfriend. And then I stop and I go... But I used to think that my ex was the love of my life, but I know she wasn't. I go, Angelo, you are the love of my life. You are the best friend I have ever had, and I am so fucking happy that you are back. I need you here, and I know everything's going to be okay because you love me, and I love you, and we just, you know, we're going to do this together. And then he yells out from the back, Josh, you're the love of my life. I love you more than anybody. We hug each other. We talk for a second to some other comics. And uh, knowing that I was in a bad mood and I hadn't eaten, he's like, let's go get some food. Let's go to Carney's. We used to always go to Carney's because uh, there was this big jam there on Tuesday nights. Um, the best musicians in LA just jamming on different songs. And I'm like, nah, let's not go to Carney's tonight. Let's go to House of Pies. And that's, to me, I still regret that decision because we just would have gone to Carney's. Uh, what happened next wouldn't have happened, which was we, uh, we got, we're on Vine going north laughing about my ex just shitting on her like just having the best time and we're making fun of her new fiance because I think he's gay I bet my balls on the fact that I think this guy is gay and I'm like yeah that's I'm pointing out where he lives up on, on Franklin I'm like yeah that's where that fucking faggot lives and Angelo, go, Angelo just yells out yeah that guy's a mega fag and we're just laughing and then we go through Vine and Yucca and then the next thing I know I wake up and I'm on the ground uh, covered in blood uh, outside of my car a drunk driver ran the red light and hit us going 86 miles an hour hit right on Angela's side spun the car around threw me from the car and um and then you know I went to the hospital and I thought everything was going to be okay and then the next day I found out that he passed which was the hardest thing in the world I've ever heard because I knew something was up because everybody was coming into the room the next day and being very quiet and, and subdued and and I kept asking about where Ange was and then nobody said anything. And then Angelo's mom walked into the room and I hugged her and I kissed her and I was like, how's Ange doing? And then she's like, nobody told you. And, I, and then my heart just froze for a second. 
and then she she explained what happened and and then I don't remember really the next two days because they just had me on um, like Valium and Klonopin just because I was I was in such bad shape I mean I fractured my skull I had broken my jaw I'd lost a hearing in my right ear broke my arm have nerve damage in my neck so I was in a lot of pain but I was trying I was every time I started thinking about Angie I started weeping and just trying to move around I just got so mad so they just had to keep me sedated um, and uh, and it's been a long road since then you know to get back to 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 reality, I guess. No, Angelo is from Chicago. Correct? Angelo is from Modesto. He called it shit town. Um, As he, most people from Modesto the, who have escaped. But he too. loved he loved the fact that he would brag every time he would say he's from Modesto. He'd be like, "Yep, the home of Jeremy Renner, uh, Academy Award nominee." Jeremy Renner and I was like that's 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 all you got like that's that's it and he's, he's like well, from that's Modesto, Modesto. Yeah. yeah oh Jeremy Renner and Timothy Oliphant he loved the fact that both of those guys were from them uh, but he he started out there and he would go to brainwash the open mic and 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 just you know he 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 had a he had a you know weird family I've met them all and I mean I love them to death but because they make you know, your family makes you who you are, you know, those crazy, but you need all the crazy people. You need that drug addict uncle. You need all those people in your family. <clears throat> but yeah, he's, he's, he was from shit town. I went up there and it was, God, I mean, I don't even know how the fuck he got out of there. It was just horrible Modesto. Not to shit on people. If there's people from Modesto listening, I'm really My sorry. My best but, friend is from Modesto. Who? Well. Windy. Really? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, she's, she's a Modesto girl. Yeah. Really? My sister-in-law is from Modesto, but she always pretends she doesn't know what a carburetor on a pipe is. And I am always like, you're from fucking Modesto, bitch. Figure it out. <laughs> Josh, how has life been? Uh, well, um, right, now it's, right now it's great. But the last five and a half months were probably the worst five and a half months of my life. Um. You know, I, I've, I've, had a, I've had drug problems on and off. Uh, you know, when, you're, when you start off, it's drinking and then smoking pot, and then I moved to psychedelics, and then I moved to cocaine. And I never learned how to drink uh, unless I had coke, you know what I mean? Because I was just, I, I, used, I, I, you know, I didn't know you're supposed to stop, you know what I mean? I just kept going and going and going. And so I would drink and do coke, and in Baltimore, that's all people do. They drink, do coke work at a mill or at a bar or work at a strip club and then, you know, watch the Orioles. That's all people do in Baltimore. Um, so I, there was a lot of partying out there and I, I, I screwed up a bunch. I had three DUIs. I, you know, made a lot of mistakes. But I got my third DUI back in 2005 and I realized I shouldn't drink. And then I moved kind of on to painkillers and I just take them recreationally and then on and off throughout the relationship. I was in with Ange when I started comedy. I, was, I would do them for a few weeks and I'd be off for a few months. And I'd do them for a month and I'd be off for six months. And it would just go back and forth. But it never got out of hand. But when the accident happened, uh, I just gave up. You know? and, and at this point, you know, the doctors are giving me not just Vicodin. They're giving me the strongest painkillers out there. They're giving me Oxycontin. They're giving me Oxymorphine. They're giving me Dilaudid. And in my head, I... I said to myself, no, I'm allowed to take these right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I am allowed to get high right now because I lost my girlfriend and my best friend in a month. You know, after I put out to the universe that, oh, you're my two favorite people, you're all I got, and they're both gone within weeks. And uh, I just completely fell apart. Well, it, I didn't want to say at first I fell apart. At first I actually needed them, and then the pain starts subduing, and I try to get off, but I started getting so depressed when I wasn't taking them and they were the only thing that really made me happy because I couldn't, I didn't deal with Ange gone. 
I didn't deal with Brittany gone. I hadn't had time to deal with Brittany gone because I lost Ange three weeks later. Um, so it was it was a long, long road to recovery because the only thing that made me happy was doing stand up. Yet the only way I could do stand up was if I was high. And it was this back and forth where all day long I stayed in bed and, and just took painkillers and then up, oh, I got a show in about an hour and I took three of them or I snorted some and then I just went out to the show and just and but did you, my best. In, in, uh, <clears throat> you need to put out there that you did uh, shows pretty quickly after getting out of the hospital, right? Yeah, I, um, and, I and, and you know, I'm going to say this. I kind of regret that I did that. Because I should have taken more time off. I mean, there's like we feel that, or at least I believed that, you know, my career and my career is doing very well, and I'm blessed to be where I'm at, considering I've been doing stand up four years, mm -hmm. which is nothing, and I know that and I'm getting better and blah 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 blah. But um, I was in the hospital for about nine days, and um, the last two days I probably could have gone home, but I just really liked the food and the drugs they were giving me, and I didn't want to go, and they had good television. Because I was like, I was really into A&E at the time. And they were doing like a Storage Wars marathon. So I was like, I'm going to stay here and just chill and eat this fucking chicken parmesan. Um, and take my Dilaudid every half hour. So uh, I left. I got out on a Thursday. And then on the next day, on the Friday, I went to the comedy store with a friend. Um, because they were doing a memorial video for Angelo to play at the one of the fundraisers. One of the memorial fundraisers for Ange. And I, uh, I you know, I, I did my, I recorded my bit. Which was his, the video was beautiful. If anybody wants to watch it, it's on YouTube. Just type in Angelo Bowers uh, and it will probably pop up. Uh, and that night I ran into Tommy of the comedy store, world famous Sir Tommy, as Angie used to call him. Um, and Tommy was like, I want you, he, well, he goes on this dissertation about life and death for about 45 minutes, where I think he mentioned Mitzi about 300 times. And then. Uh, he's like, listen, I want you to come around here as much as you can. He's like, you know, we love you here and we want you to get up and we know that you, you're a great comic and we just want to make you happy. And, and so you come here, you'll call in your veils and we'll put you up. And so that night I was just like, I was, I mean, I, I felt good because I was so fucked up on these drugs. Uh, I just started attacking the stage. And so that night I did two sets and the next night I did two sets and the next night I did three sets and so on. I just started performing because the only time I felt back to normal was when I was on stage. At that moment, when you're doing the, that 10 or 15 minutes, I didn't think about the accident. I didn't think about the drugs. I thought about the moment that I'm in front of these people entertaining them and how lucky I am that I get to do it and how Ange doesn't, you know? And I felt very close to him when I was on stage and it was beautiful. But what was funny was that as I'm, as I'm having these great sets, because I was loaded, and when you're loaded on painkillers, you don't give a fuck about anything I mean I didn't care I just went up and just was scratching myself on stage and talking about whatever and I um, everybody thought I was really doing well they're like wow Josh seems to be back to normal but in reality I was lost I was more depressed than I've ever been I had suicidal thoughts I was taking drugs like I wanted to overdose that was with my head I was like if I overdose right now I could give a fuck I just didn't care. Sure, sure. You know, you give. I gave up on life, really. I gave up on what was important, and it was because I didn't have anybody. And that was. And the other thing too. This is this is to mention. Everybody was so beautiful. All the comics that came to visit me, all the comics that called me, everybody was so beautiful. And they were like, "We want to take you out to lunch. We want to hang out with you. If you need to go to a doctor's appointment, whatever you need." Because I didn't have a car the first month. But because of the drugs, I made myself seem normal. People started thinking I was okay, and eventually they have to go back to their life. I mean, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. After a while, you just gotta say, all right, we have to move on as well. 
So a month in, after the accident, I got a car. And once I got a car, I had a bank account full of money, a car, and I started pushing people away and people weren't calling as much. And then I just began to isolate and just, just stay in my room and do drugs all day and then go to my show. And then I just go downtown and get my drugs or I drive myself to my pain management doctor in Beverly Hills and get a refill of the strongest painkillers out there. And it was just gone. And I would make comments to friends that I knew were in the program, like, man, I'm really not doing well right now. I can't get off the painkillers. And nobody was really helping me. I had to help myself. But the whole time I knew I'm killing myself. Stop, stop, stop. But that's what's funny about that, you know, about being an addict is that even though you know you are doing something wrong and you, I didn't want to take them, but I had to because the dope sickness got so intense. And the longer I took them, the sickness got worse and worse and worse. And so uh, basically I, um, I kind of hit a bottom. Luckily it wasn't a, it wasn't a horrible bottom. I just, um, somebody lent me $200 to get my car fixed. My battery died. This is, this is a month ago. And it got so out of hand. It was like, for because I got off it for a while. I got off for a month taking this like methadone type stuff called Suboxone that a friend gave me. And it worked great. Um, but when I ran out of that, I immediately went back on the painkillers. And it got out of hand. It was just, because I went from just taking them orally to snorting them. And then I'm snorting 10 a day. And then I'm snorting 20 a day. And, I mean, really strong painkillers that should kill people. Uh, and I a friend lends me money to get my battery changed in my car. And I immediately call my drug dealer and I drive from sunset and poinsettia to seventh and Maine during rush hour. So I go from West Hollywood to downtown LA in 15 minutes during rush hour, breaking traffic laws, just trying to get down there as fast as I can. Cause my drug dealer's like, you got 20 minutes to get down here. This crippled guy, by the way, this guy that I became my best friend, this crippled guy with the fucking eye drop tattoos and like, big black guy and it's just he was my best friend at that point because I called him every fucking day and I meet him I don't even turn my car off because I can't because the battery will die get my painkillers leave myself ten dollars to get food for three days while I wait for this big check that's coming in for some voiceover work and then I drive to third in Maine at like 7 p.m. and I'm crushing up these painkillers in broad daylight just snorting them on the side of third in Maine which is a pretty high traffic street and that's when it hit me. I was like, I am a fucking junkie and I got to stop. And then the next day, a friend came to take me out to lunch and I had taken a few painkillers because I had a few left over. And then I just get in the car. And for the first time in five and a half months, I was honest with somebody and I just laid it all out. I started weeping and just saying, I have a problem. I can't get through it. Every time I try to get off, I get dope sick. And she goes, I'm going to help you get through it. And so my friend, Julia, who I love more than anybody in the world was there for me when I needed her and she she helped me get through the detox. She showed up the next day and she she called AAA, we got my car fixed, I paid for it or whatever and then we went out to lunch and then she brought me these fresh juices and just kind of, we threw out all my chemicals that I had in my house, all the uh, the benzos, which, I would, which is what I would take when I didn't have painkillers because it put me to sleep and I just dealt with it. I just dealt with the pain and I, and, I, and I made this video diary during all four days of the detox talking about how shitty I felt and how depressed I was but how excited I was that I'll have my life back and actually it was funny on the second day I went to a spa in, in Beverly not Beverly Hills but in on Beverly Boulevard um, in this in Koreatown and I, uh, 
I walked in and I was just gonna go in the sauna and the hot spring water they have there. But when I walked in, there was this cute girl working the front desk. And I'm just like, listen, I'm not gonna be honest with you. I'm going through an opiate detox. What do you recommend? And she's like, all right, a full body massage and a body scrub. And I'm like, let's fucking do it. And then I go in. And so I'm sweating out all these toxins, right? Feeling like shit. And then after that, I had to perform at UC Northridge in front of a thousand kids. I have a contract with them. I can't break the show. You know what I mean? Because I need this money. Um, never been sicker in my life. I literally walk into the school. There's Like I said, a thousand kids. I go up to the guy paying me and I go, listen, man, I don't feel very well. Uh, is there a place I can lay down? He goes, no, not really. I go, okay, I'm going to lay down right here on the floor. You're going to wake me up when there's one minute before I have to go on stage. And then he does that. I go up there. I had a great time because I just lived in that moment. And I mean, I was in my head. I was like, I'm so sick. If I eat shit, I could give a shit. You know what I mean? It's not about comedy right now. It's about my recovery. And, um, and I had a great time and then I immediately went home. Actually, no, I had to go to the haha after that and I did the same thing to Terry and Augustino. I was like, listen guys, I love you to death. Can I please go up early? I can't? Okay, I'm gonna lay down on that couch in the back. You're gonna wake me up when, uh, when Jeff Garcia is done doing his, his 45 minutes. You wake me up and I'll go right up. And once again, I had a great time and then the next two days I just recovered and, and, and then I woke up on the fourth day and I felt good. And I immediately went to an AA meeting. Well, I went to AA throughout the whole detox, but I mean, I. Went to one clear-headed finally. And where are you at today? You clean? I am. I am 100% clean, and I've, I'm. I, I'm not gonna lie, man. I am. I've never been better. You look good. Thank you. I Your feel. I good. feel good. And and that and, and that's the thing, man. Is that you know, drug addicts tend to live in the past. You know, a lot of the stuff that drug addicts go through is because something they did, or something that that their father said, or just whatever. Like we live in the past, and. And I'm just reading about all this different stuff, not just in the big book, not just on, you know, in, you know, I'm reading about enlightenment and I was, you know, just different Buddhist philosophies and I'm meditating now and I'm trying to find other ways to get inspired and to get high on life because you, we are all blessed, especially me, considering I almost died. I should be the one that died that day. Because well, do you feel that? Do you have guilt? Do you feel? Of course. I mean, how could you not? I mean, of course you have guilt. I mean, you know how hard it was to call Angie's mom? the first, the second week, you know, because Ange was this beautiful soul and I look at myself like I'm this piece of shit, you know, I'm a junkie at the time. Um, I was good because of him. I mean, he made me a better person. And Ange, you know, I, I was, I felt extremely guilty because Ange had just beaten cancer. Like he deserved another shot. Like Ange was the, I wouldn't say he was my insurance policy, but we both, we both called each other our insurance policies for our careers. If, if Ange made it first, he takes me. If I made it first, I take Ange. And every project we had or we were working on, we worked on together and it was like, we had a lot of cool things we were working on. So it's, it's just, it was so, it was, it, I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't deal with the fact that I couldn't be with him and he couldn't be there while all this great stuff was going to happen because we kept talking about what we were going to do. Like, oh man, I can't wait till we can go to this restaurant when we got money and I can't wait to go to this concert when we have money. And it was, it was hard to accept that I still could and he couldn't. Uh, and I felt really guilty because I was thrown from the car. I was the one that was thrown from the car. I landed on my head. I broke my skull. Um, I should have been the one that died. Andrew stayed in the car. He had the safety belt on. I had a safety belt on too, but my safety belt was just a piece of shit. It was an old Jeep. Um, and we used to kid around all the time about that car. We used to say, because I had a Jeep for 14 years. And it was a death trap. We used to say that. If we get into an accident, we're fucked. And we kid around. And it was like, holy shit, that actually was true. Um, and so I felt guilty. I was. I felt horrible. I uh, have never struggled with addiction. I mean, Joey has. Um, 
But when you tell that story, and I hope I'm not being impolite, uh, as you were driving downtown uh, to go score on that day, you know, you said you made it in 15 minutes. Did the irony strike you like, I'm fucked up and I'm driving after everything you just went through? I, well, here's the thing. I, I had gotten, painkillers didn't, didn't really make me down. They actually gave me energy. They made me feel like, you know, like I was, the, the best way to explain painkillers was like, imagine being in a room and knowing you feel better than every single person in there. You know what I mean? Like you're feeling a million worth, a million dollars worth of confidence. Like you felt like you were a billionaire and everybody was not below you, but you were just like, you knew you felt better. So I, I actually drove really, I hate, that sounds so horrible to say. I mean, knowing now and looking back at how, what it's like to drive clear headed and what it's like to drive on drugs. Um, I felt, I never, I mean, when I, that day was, was different. That day was, I, I'm a junkie. I need to get downtown as fast as I can. All I want to do is get high. All I want to do is get high. If I can't meet this guy in 15 minutes, I got to drive to fucking Arcadia to go meet him later. And that's the worst. I mean, driving up the fucking 134 at, you know, nine o'clock, it's still packed. Um, and I, and I just, you know, I, I mean, I broke a lot of traffic laws. I mean, that it's, it, those are the things that have to happen for somebody to realize that you are fucked up, you know, and I am lucky that I didn't kill somebody. Thank God I didn't, I, that would have been horrible, but you're not in the yeah. right state of mind. Yeah. I mean, I had already snorted probably five or six pills that day and then I wanted to get more. So it just, you know, that's, you know, look at Robert Downey Jr. The guy had everything. And I mean, he's running down Hollywood Boulevard or Sunset Boulevard with like, you know, naked. You know, this is a, this is a respectable actor at one point. But I mean, you don't think when you're, when you're just trying to score. And I mean, I just didn't care about anything at that moment besides my drugs. I didn't care about my career. I didn't care about my mom. I didn't, I didn't even want to think about Angelo or my girlfriend. I just wanted to get high. You know, I, I'm, I used to have a really bad relationship with God, and I'm, I, it's, I'm still working on it right now, you know? Because I was always like, woe is me. Like, why would you do this to me? Why am I the, why do I get another DUI? Why am I broke right now? Why am I this? And I'm always asking questions instead of trying to figure out solutions. Um, Ange, Ange passed, and I, I, there, was a, there was this four days in between the drug, what, from the accident until when I officially got sober, where I actually got clean for about four days. Uh, I couldn't handle it because I was so depressed and I couldn't deal with it yet. And I'm driving up uh, La Brea listening to some Elton John song, you know, that, that I knew Ange liked or whatever. And I'm just weeping. And and I'm just, I start talking to him like, Ange, if you're out there, man, just please just give me a sign. I just, I love you. I miss you. And I'm turning on the fountain. And by the way, it's uh, the day of the Oscars too. So a lot of the streets are shut down. So that's why I'm turning on a fountain. And I pull on the fountain off La Brea and standing in this parking lot is Nick Nolte. And it makes me immediately start laughing because I think of this joke that Angelo wrote. Uh, Angelo had this joke that goes, uh, women say I have an ugly penis. They say it looks like Nick Nolte coughing. And it just makes me start <laughs> laughing <clears throat> because at that moment when I needed him, he was there. And so I, that made me get a little spiritual, but then immediately a day later, I go back on drugs because I just couldn't handle it. Because the, the crying is just, you, you cry and you cry and it's, it becomes so intense, it's gut-wrenching. It's not just tears, it's, it's like weeping. Um, and now I embrace it. I love when I get sad because it makes me know how much I love them. You know, that I, my dad, my dad actually died two years ago from about a week ago, not even. 
from the 20, 22nd or 23rd, I think he died. And, and I was extremely sad because like you were saying earlier about your relationship with your father, mm -hmm. you know, I was really lucky that my dad passed. Um, you know, we had a really bad relationship for a long time. I was the black sheep of the family. None of them had ever done drugs. And I mean, my parents saw me at my worst a few times. I mean, just they really got to see how bad I was. But, you know, my, my dad never forgot. You know what I mean? He always remembered the time I came home tripping balls and I trashed my room and was naked running around the house. You know, my dad would never forgot that. My dad never forgot when I got drunk at my cousin's bar mitzvah and threw up on myself. He never forgot that shit. And because I had a sister that's a doctor and she's got three kids and she never got in trouble and she she's, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful person. Um, and so when he ran right around when he died, you know, we kind of made amends because he got sick and he survived this, 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 uh, this bad, uh, he had an aneurysm, aneurysm in his heart and he survived this surgery. And, um, I got through it because I had Angelo and I had my girlfriend at the time and I had a big, good support system and I cried and I cried, but I never cried as hard or I've never cried as long or for so long as when Ange passed because, you know, with your father, you know, like I said, the relationship wasn't good. I love him, but you know, he was always a dad and he was strict against me and the grudges he held. It was, it wasn't like, and he had a lot of problems too. So when he died, I almost was like, finally he's at peace. Do you know what I mean? He can, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, the mistakes he made in life. But with Ange, it was, there was so much more life left in him. I mean, the kid was about to turn 28. You know, his the Sarah Silverman thing. I mean, he was like, he was, it was, he was going to be, he was going to permeate pop culture. Angelo was going to write for Kimmel or, or Letterman and just be enormous. And, and so I still get sad. The other night I got to open for David Tell at the Irvine Improv, uh, who's one of my favorite comics and is Angelo's favorite comic. And they have the same similar joke writing style, not the subject matter, but just the same misdirection and non sequiturs. And I go there and I perform and then I'm watching David Tell do an hour and I'm just in tears laughing because he's so brilliant. And halfway through the tears turn from, from joy and into sadness because it makes me think how good Ange would have been at 20 years and how great it would have been to see him do an hour, really at the top of his craft. And I just start crying and nobody really knew because they thought I was just laughing and I continued to keep laughing, but I just became really sad. But like I said, it's, you have to embrace that. It makes you feel human. It makes you feel like a real person when you can do that clear headed and, and, and know that he affected you so strongly and I'll never forget about him. And I have dealt with it, you know, now. I mean, like I said, when I get sad, I cry. And I talk to him every morning. I wake up in the morning. I say, Ange, you know, please help me throughout the day. Put people in my path that I can help uh, and watch over me because I know I know nothing and it's all up to you, man. And, and he's like my higher power now that I speak to. And I talk to him all day long. The other day I was, I was DJing at the strip club and this stripper gives me a slice of pizza. And then later in the day I go, hey, can I have another slice? And she goes, yeah, go ahead. And then she starts drinking. And she comes up to me and she's like, you ate another slice of pizza? And I'm like, listen, cilantro, you said I could have another slice of pizza. And she's like, just starts screaming at me. And I'm like, listen, I guess I was wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. And she continues to scream and scream and scream. And I'm like, in my head, I'm just like, this fucking crazy bitch is driving me nuts. She is so fucked up right now. And then I am about to blow up at her and go, listen, you crazy bitch. You said I could have a fucking slice of pizza, you drunk cunt. Like, don't you fucking remember? And she just, she's screaming and screaming. And I just stop. And I go, 
and I keep saying, you're right, I'm wrong, you're right, I'm wrong, and I just go, all right, and I just walk away, and I go out and I talk to Ange, and I felt better, and I felt happy at that moment that I didn't go back to my old self and just yell at this girl, even though I knew I was right, but I gotta give her the props. I gotta be like, she's a drunk stripper named Cilantro. I'm gonna let her fucking. Is her name really Cilantro? Nah, I like that name. Though. I can't give her a real name just in case you know somebody comes to my club or whatever. But what's funny is about this story is that you know I lost my mother. I lost two best friends growing up, and I went into a fucking tailspin. But after I lost my comic buddy Marilyn Martinez, it was when my life really changed because it felt like I finally had a purpose in comedy. Sure, I was doing something for her. I was doing what she wasn't doing. Exactly. I lost the weight. I stopped doing blow. You know, I started writing more. I started paying more attention to it. So it's not, and I sit there and I talk to her some mornings and I giggle and, you know, so I understand this whole fucking thing you're doing. I got a lot of respect for you, Josh Meyer. Thank you. You know, that's, that's what's funny that you just mentioned that because my mom, I was very honest with my mom during the whole process and I love my mom to death. She's that, she's that never ending love, the consistent love that you need and, she doesn't judge me, you know. She knows I fucked up, and she knows I made mistakes. She knows I'm a good person, and I told her I was like, "Ma, I can't get off the painkillers, and I'm just so depressed, and I don't want to do comedy anymore. I just don't want to be around all these sad people." And because you know, comics can be like you said, man, they're fucking miserable people, you know, because they don't enjoy the moment that they're already out here doing it. They worry about this guy's got it, and I don't have it. And I used to think like that. I used to be like, "Why does this guy have so much, and I have so little?" When I'm more talented than this guy, and you can't think like that because it'll kill you, man. Yeah. And you can't be competitive either. Exactly. I, I was competitive when I first got here in '88. It fueled my addiction. You're gonna do what you're gonna do. Felicia's gonna do what I, she's gonna yeah. do, and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Exactly. And you know what? Either we can learn from one another, or we can bang fucking heads. It's up to you. Exactly. And that's the beauty of this thing. And when you get something, you shine a light on Felicia. And somebody shines a light on you, and that's what the beauty is about. I'll tell you, man, I have no regrets about getting into comedy. I have no regrets about sleeping on the floor. I have no regrets about fucking living for 10 years like a pauper and being addicted. I have no regrets. I have a thousand other regrets, but I have no regrets of shitting off a fucking balcony in Seattle <laughs> when I paid $125 to live in an office. And uh, that's the beauty of it. It's just fucking grasping this. And you, you got it, brother. I mean, yeah, that's you. for sure. You that's really do. Sure. You're doing great. And like I said, Felicia said something that I didn't want to interject. She said that she saw you a couple of nights after the thing. When I walked in there to that improv and I saw you, you remember how I looked at you? I yep. just walked past you. I was like, this isn't him. This can't be Josh. It can't be. He's in the fucking hospital. And I walked, and then after I got off stage, I go, if that's this motherfucker, you're crazy, but this is what you need to do. Sure. You need to move on. And I, and I hugged you, and I, listen, man, when it comes to death, I know how to treat it because I could go to the hospital with you and see you and jump up and down. I knew Angelo from Spots. I didn't know him, and I knew you from Spots, basically the fucking ha-ha. Sure. And I would sit back and watch you guys because I was there alone, but you guys were there as a group. Sure. And I would think of my times in Seattle, having $4 and you having two and Felicia having one. And us going, we got eight bucks. What do you want to do? Why does she have one? Why'd you give the girl one dollar? Well, she had the more. Well, that's how it is around here, Josh. <laughs> As you witnessed when you came to the door oh, and we God. were screaming at each other. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Listeners, they are crazy. He was like, Cilantro, you stupid cunt. <laughs> I didn't call you a stupid cunt. I I no, but I think I heard cocksucker. I think oh, yeah. I heard you fucking bitch eight years. <laughs> eight times in two years. I was like, should I, should I leave? 
Should I get the fuck out of here? Well, I know. When Joey gets going, you can't shut him down. You just got to fucking be like, oh, yeah, well, then, fuck, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got some BF balls. I love that, Felicia. When I fucking woke up this morning and I see my wife on the couch ready to go to work, it just fucked my day up. Yeah. Completely. It just... But why would it? She's going to work. Like, that's... like that I thought she was going to be sick. Ah, She was sick at three in the morning. When I got up at three, she fucking came out eating crackers and puking. So I'm like... Oh, we're in for another day of this fucking drama tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah. I just expected to get up and have a protein shake and have an hour or two to unwind. Sure. Now I got to fucking get dressed and take a shower and take it to work. And I got to feed the fucking cat and clean the litter box. I got to do this in a fucking 45 minutes. When you're not awake and you smell a litter box, oh, yeah. that will throw you the fuck off for a loop, okay? <laughs> you need to be awake before you smell some cat's ass. You need to get some fresh so, step, dude. Get some fucking yeah, fresh no, step, No, the, the litter yeah. box is great. It's just... When you do it, it's like when you go to Starbucks now. Sure. You go to Starbucks lately. I just want a cup of coffee. And they ask you, do you want milk in it? Do you want something to eat? Do you have a Starbucks card? I just want fucking <laughs> coffee. Ask me this shit in 15 minutes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You need you're the like, coffee what? before you ask the question. Yeah. You're like, what? You don't even want to fucking talk. They're like, oh, ask me. And you're like, what? That's what it was like this morning. So. Work. You need to get a goddamn coffee now machine. Now I'm fucking in your awake. House, now I'm fucking awake. That that was great. You need to get a coffee machine in your house. And no, I got the it. coffee machine at the house. Good. All right. But you don't understand. You gotta hit it first. Sit down. I take two bong hits. I go on fucking YouTube. <laughs> I go on Facebook. This morning, I had to change the little boxes. I was drinking the fucking coffee. Oh yeah, that's bad. That's, that's bad. bad. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Usually, you wake up, you have an hour to. Fan your balls, scratch your head, <laughs> yeah. look out the window at that fucking bird that landed on the tree and ask yourself what continent did he come with? You know what I'm saying? Because oh you got that type of fucking time. <laughs> what continent did that yellow belly sap come from? Let me Google him. It's got nothing to do with your world, but you got that type of time. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I got time. Wow, I, that was an insight to your soul, Joey, right yeah. there. That's true. When you wake up in the morning, it's great to look at something and go, why did God give me two balls instead of one? That's Those are the questions you answer at 6 in the morning when you, you got time. You got two hours to Google, why yeah. did God give me two nuts? But if I get up and I ain't got that time and now you're throwing this shit at me, I got to digest all this shit. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Thank you very much, but yeah, brother. Thank you so much, Josh. I learned for a lot that. from these fucking podcasts. And today, I tell you, I'm happy that you were a guest. You, you're thank what you. I needed today. Sometimes you're what the. Because it brought back a lot of shit that. To, you know, we've gone through debts. Felicia's mom. So you know, we know where you're coming from. So. Is there anything that you have coming up that you would like to share? Uh, I'm at the Improv, I think, on June 2nd. I'm, I'm there this Thursday. Uh, one thing I want to say, and it's not even about me, it's what I'm trying to do is get Angelo's name out there. I'm never going to forget about him. And a lot of comics that knew him aren't going to as well. But, uh, you know, he's got... He was very secretive about his comedy. He, you know, he like I said, he didn't promote. So uh, what I've done is is gotten all the clips we can get that he that he recorded, audio or, or video. It doesn't make a difference. We're putting them on YouTube. Uh, so if you, if you go on YouTube, type in Angelo Bowers and just watch his comedy. And if you find it funny, just tell a friend, man. Just pass it on and... And one thing that I'm doing, which which was one of the reasons I went to go see Atel, was um, I'm going to start putting together a fundraiser every year uh, for cancer research because that almost beat them, and Mothers Against Drunk Driving in in Angelo's name, and it's going to be like a celebration of his life uh, right around uh, his birthday in February of every year. And I mean, Atel's when was his birthday? It's uh, it was February 28th, man, Good. and. Uh, you know, he, he was so close to being 28, and it's just, I want, I, there's, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't, he wasn't big enough 
where everybody knows who he is. So I got to get that name out there. I mean, it's like, I just want everybody to know. So I'm putting together this show. Attell said he'd do it if he's in town. And I'm just getting Angelo's favorite comics and, and all his buddies. And so we're going to do that at the comedy store. Um, you know, if you, if you to keep up on that show, I'm um, on Twitter, you know, at Josh Adam Myers. Uh, last name spelled M-E-Y-E-R-S and that'll tell you all the shows that are coming up um, and also even better is there is a Twitter feed um, for Angelo because Angelo didn't have one and if somebody's in control of it it's, it's called Angelo at Angelo's Jokes and uh, every day they post one of Angelo's jokes up there and they're perfect man he, you know he's got like 3,000 followers and, and every time I you know every time somebody puts the joke up uh, it it gets like you know 20 to 30 retweets and it's just it's he was a brilliant mind man and he was a brilliant and beautiful person and so i just really want to keep his name alive i mean it's not even about coming on here wasn't about talking about me it's just i, I just want to get him out there man he deserves so much and asks so little he's alive in your heart bro. he is 100 you couldn't have said that better man the people that are dead in my life aren't really dead they're alive in my heart exactly because i think about what they would be doing and how they would want me to conduct myself so I used them to my fucking advantage. Now, he's in your heart. Exactly. He's in your heart forever, and you're stuck with him. Like I said, man, when I I, I called my mom that day, and I said, I, I'm, I can't get off these painkillers, and she goes, how would Angelo feel about that right now? And I just, that was it. That was that wow. shot that you needed wow. to hear. That was like, wow. that was like, it's time. Because I got to do this for Angelo. You got to keep living, man. You know what I mean? You got to keep living. Yeah. There's a lot of life. I'm 32 years old. I, I'm a, I'm a, my mom says I'm a good looking person. And, uh, and I got a lot of talent and I'm, and I'm, I'm out here doing what I love and he doesn't get to do that anymore. So I'm doing it for both of us. And, and I, and it makes me feel good because when I go on stage and I make these people laugh, it feel like a little bit closer to Ange and, and I talk to him every day and. You know, like you said, man, when they're in your heart, they're with you all the time. It's almost like when they pass, it's like a, it's, you know, it's like we have, I have every right to be sad that he's gone, but it's, you're, you're lucky that you knew him. And that is what sticks with me is that I am blessed. I wouldn't, I would have given up on comedy right at the fucking beginning because I couldn't get a laugh. I sucked. But because of Angelo saying, you're going to get funnier, Josh, just keep doing it. You are a funny guy. I know it and you know it and everybody else is one day. And he was that guy that, that helped motivate you and helped make you feel good and, and made you work harder. And, and so I'm blessed. And I so because if I know him and I know a lot of his friends know him and you know him, I want everybody else to. So please look him up. Angelo Bowers. Just Google him and everything will come up. And, and trust me, you'll have a great time enjoying his clips. He's a brilliant, brilliant comic. And, and I just want to say thank you guys for letting me come on because that means a lot to be able to get his name out there. We're thank so you. glad uh, you came. And by the way, if any of you out there listening have liked today's discussion uh do us all a favor go to josh's twitter let him know you liked it uh or you can go to itunes and leave a, a little nice comment about it that helps drive our numbers up um anything you would like to add joey and don't forget to go to ballcancersucks.com read up on the fucking disease get checked up and also support them they have a little box there they have t-shirts for sale press in b and b 20 percent you get 20 percent off your sale also, some friends. I want to give a shout out to my friends over at uh, TaintedVisionArts.com. Tainted <laughs> you bad motherfuckers. I uh, haven't heard from my man in a while, but I'm going to give him a call this week. Go over there. Check out the Eureka Pen over at NoHo Organic. Check out NoHo CC. Check out Divine Wellness. 
in uh, North Hollywood, and, and that's it, my love. Where are you at this weekend? Any, any dates? I, uh, I'm at the Ice House. Uh, I'm going to be in Wichita in uh, June. Uh, at Lo- just for because I'm running a set for a TV thing. Uh, okay. So that'll be uh, uh, like June, I think, 15th. So you're going something. back to Kansas? I'm going to go back to okay. Kansas, yes. And uh, and that's about it. Oh, do us a favor. If you uh, uh, haven't known this or heard this, Joey uh, released his documentary. Uh, go to Payloads and look for that. It's called Where I Got My Balls. And, uh, <laughs> Felicia took the picture for both covers, or one cover. One cover. And I'll be at the San Jose Improv next Thursday, June 7th. Uh-huh. And I'll also be at Buffalo at Nietzsche's June 21st. And at Governor's in Levittown, Long Island, the 22nd and the 23rd. So there you have it, cocksuckers. Besides that, I want to thank Josh. I want to thank my beautiful co-host, Felicia. Have a great week and scratch those fucking nuts. Did you just apologize to me again? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Love you, cocksucker. Stay black. <laughs>